Here they come! Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host Eric Moore and today I'm joined by Mark McGee to discuss the UFO and Shadow Mobile battle from the UFO episode The Sound of Silence. Oh, hello. Hello, Mark. Hello, Eric. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. Thank you very much. And looking forward to talking about this. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this, the show and this episode and this sequence. All right. So my first Absolutely. my first question for you is, um, are you are you a big fan of the show? And where does this rate in in your uh, appreciation of Jerry Anderson's shows? Weirdly, I have lots of memories of UFO. But I don't think I actually watched it live when it was first broadcast because it's what mid seventies, so I was very young at that period. Um, but I had—I think my memories of this come from the toys mm. more than anything else, um, and I have lots of sort of vague memories of bits of it. But it isn't until recently that I actually caught up with the with the entire series, so. It's an interesting one. Well, it, it was actually, it, depending on what region of the UK you were in, it it it, uh, it had different transmission release dates. Uh, but the first ones were in 1970 and then 1971. So, yeah, you were little uh, when this was first. I shown. was zero and one. <laughs> you were a minus figure. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Um, nearly, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, I was, when it came out, I was like eight or nine depending on when it got here but it had an evening time slot and of course you know when you're eight or nine you're not watching telly in the evening especially not science oh, fiction my my mum didn't uh, like science fiction so there was no chance of watching it so i did i didn't see it until like you say until the reruns uh, a few years later yeah um but yeah um, yeah i'm totally the same as you as with all jerry anderson shows there were all the goodies you had all the dinky toys out didn't you um oh yes you also had the vehicles and the badges back then in those days of course you know you always had free gifts in breakfast cereal um yeah uh, before health and safety went mad and you know they that they were considered <laughs> choking ha hazards um yeah uh, quaker's puff wheat had the the uh the deal with the jerry anderson shows then so all your ufo stuff came from quaker's puff wheat um you also had the bubblegum cards i remember the bubblegum cards you had the sweet cigarette cards as well that dates it and um the comic strips <laughs> uh i used to get countdown and tv 21 and you know they were in that as well yeah i mean i think like i say my main memory comes from the dinky toys and you know just playing with those fellas and i think that's why i have a fondness for the vehicles in this rather than the, rather than the spacecraft mm. yeah i don't know why they're just a bit more interesting as a toy 
Yeah. And yeah, you're absolutely right. You're playing with the toys long before you see the show. So you might not know anything yeah. about these things. I mean, you know, the shadow mobile, you know, that we're going to be talking about in this sequence, you know, it had a, it had a flip top oh, yeah. with a with a missile launcher. Now, there's something similar <laughs> to that in the in this sequence. But um, yeah, uh, there's no way anybody could fit inside that mobile while <laughs> you've got a blooming great <laughs> missile launcher like that there, you know. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, indeed. But I, I fell. I can remember I fell in love with the show. I think up until then, Captain Scarlet was my favourite, um, mainly because of the hardware. I loved all the action and the hardware. And now you had a live action show that also had hardware and action. Um, but also, it, it, it was the design element of it. I mean, I, I'm I'm a child of the '60s, but I consider myself growing up in the '70s. And I don't know if you remember, but the '70s was a grotty, grotty, horrible time in the in the UK. But so your escape was television and you would watch these old ITC shows like the Persuaders and Randall and Hopkirk. And it was the outrageous designs of, you know, the furniture and the clothes and, you know, the, you know, the table lamps and stuff. And UFO had that in abundance. So, you know, I just fell in love with it. Oh, yeah. The cars were fantastic for, for full size props. Mm. They were really nice looking sort of futuristic cars. Well, well, famously, um, the, the, the cars that are in UFO were left over from Doppelganger. Jerry Anderson had made this live action film oh, right. the year before. Yeah. And so, yeah, an awful lot of the uh, the props, the, the, the model, the models used by Derek Meddings, um, you know, some of the costumes, some of the actors were all reused for UFO. They, they, they were um, a continuation from Doppelganger. Right, and you yeah. talk you talk about the costumes. That was another thing in this show. I just adored the costumes. Um, you look at them now, and it's like nobody, <laughs> but no nobody wears purple with lavender. You know, no bloke is going to wear a, a, a purple jumpsuit with a a lavender turtleneck. But uh, you know, it was the seventies. You know, <laughs> uh, it, yeah, and and they're, they're labelled the uniforms. You know, so you know, get away with fishnet jumpers, can't you? The fish, I love the fishnets <laughs> on the skydiver crew. I I, I love the way oh, the uh, that uh, the men have their nipples exposed. But the ladies have some sort of like body slip <laughs> under their string vests, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, yeah. you got the the, the baker, you got the baker foil moon base uh, outfits, and the ladies in their purple wigs. There, there was never ever was ever purple wigs. There was never ever oh. an explanation of why they got purple wigs. I've seen some sort of like afterwards explanation of it. Oh, it's anti-static or something like that. But if that's the case, <laughs> why didn't the blokes wear purple wigs? Why why didn't Paul Foster when he was up there on the moon wear a purple wig as well? Seems a bit unfair. Oh. And, and and you watch it now, and you just, a thing that got me rewatching it now was was everyone was smoking. And they were smoking on submarines. They were smoking on moon base. It was like as soon as they turned up somewhere, they lit up. And it's, it's just madness. It, it was that time. <laughs> it, yeah, it's not just the smoking. It's the drinking so as well. They've always, you know, got a, yeah. a whiskey in their hand. You know, Ed Straker, you know, yeah. Alec Freeman. You know, the yeah. first thing they do is light up and, and have a sniff one, you know. Yeah, I know. And you think, these, these people are in charge of Earth's defences. <laughs> it was a very scary time in yeah. the far future of 1980 yeah but talk, talking about paul foster uh, there i mean when i was that age when i was about you know 10 <clears throat> there were two heroes of mine one was tony curtis and one was paul foster mm. i desperately wanted to be either of those when i grew up you know never did but uh yeah paul paul foster was my <laughs> hero uh yeah he was such a such a dashing character 
very I'm, typical. Uh, I'm going to mention something about <laughs> him in a minute, but I'm going to hold that back. Oh, yeah. um, and the other Fair. thing that I always remember this show for, for um, uh, Wanda Ventum in, in this. I mean, she was one of my earliest crushes. Um, you know, old Benedict's mum. Yeah, she was a she was a crush of mine. And there was a, one of the moon operatives called Joan. I had a bit of a soft spot for her as well. Joan's not a very <laughs> um, futuristic name, is it? Really? <laughs> no. It's yeah. a, it, you know, you never know. It, it, it is the eighties. So. Yeah, I, I, I think for um, I think we should mention here for listeners not familiar with with the show just exactly what we're waffling on about. You know, <laughs> and and <laughs> very true. And what the basic premise of the show is. I mean, the premise of the show is that Earth is under a threat from an from an alien attack, isn't it? You know, basically. Yeah, aliens are coming to Earth. Um, we find out through you know the run of the show that their planet's dead and dying and that they're looking for organ transplants to keep their species going their species is also sterile um and later on as the show goes on we find that they need a new place to live kind of like uh, the martians in war of the worlds um yeah so they're traveling billions of miles um you never find out how many aliens are in each ufo but it can't be more than like two or no. three they come all that way to collect one person to then take back you know for organ transplants but later on in the show it, it becomes even more vague as it looks like the aliens can control creatures i mean there's one terrible episode where they control a cat um and <laughs> and, and and in that episode it, it's actually speculated that they might not actually have physical form at all the aliens they can't either they can either they can't go out into space or they have no physical body and they actually occupy other bodies yeah. it, it is a it's it's a weird show watching it watching it back because some elements of it are exceedingly dark mm. there's some really dark, like you say about abduction uh, they talk about mutilation you know body mutilation they talk about um this is the whole premise of this sterile dang race mm. com coming to Earth. And then there's just some elements of it that are just a bit silly. Yeah. Uh, there was that one was it where, where um, the closer the UFO got, the slower the... Something to do with time manipulation. I can't remember it. Oh, either. that's time, time lash. Crash. Yeah, time lash. Yeah, oh, time where, lash. Yeah, they've frozen Shadow in time, and except for Straker yeah. and, uh, you know, Wanda Ventham there. Yeah, that's one of the later yeah. ones. That, as the series, you, you know, got further in, they started tweaking and changing. And some of the early episodes, they're just like soap operas, and you've got the odd alien in there. You've got one with Patrick Moa where he's got a girlfriend yeah. and they're going to bump off the husband, but they accidentally bump off the alien instead, you know, and they, they, they yeah. have these odd little like soaps with, which just so happens to have an alien in it. But towards the end, you know, they, yeah, they were going I, more and more outlandish. Yeah. It's, it was very strange. I mean, even in this particular episode, we're going to look at shadows is very much in the background. Mm. The, the actual alien premise is, is, is there, but it's more about the relationships of this, isolated group of people yeah and there seems to be quite a lot of that in the show it mm. seems quite sort of rare that you have episodes that focus purely on the threat and the story and, and, and all all that business but they are i don't know it's just it just struck me as a weird series overall from story from a story point of view yeah we, we should mention shadow shadow of course is the organization that's uh 
form to combat this threat. The threat is kept secret because the idea is, you know, if the public knew that aliens were regularly coming to Earth, there would be panic and riots. So Shadow was formed yeah. to, to face the menace. This is a, a, a throwback to the Jerry Anderson puppet shows in which you've got organisations with snappy titles, you know. Yep. I mean, this is... What is it? It's the Su- Supreme Headquarters Alien Defence Organisation, you know. That's the one. Absolutely. What, what tickles me even more so, I mean, I don't know, is, is the, the open titles are very, very Anderson. They tell you everything you need to know. And this and Space 999 are my two favourite theme tunes from, mm. from the Anderson stuff. Uh, I could just listen to listen to this this stuff. In fact, I very rarely skip it. The only thing that annoys me on the title sequence of this is the constant flashing up of, of 1980. Just to remind you that it's in the future. I was coming <laughs> on to that. Yeah, it is one of these things that is, you know, you look back now, it's like Escape from New York and, mm. and, and whatever, and it's like, yeah. oh, dear. But when you think about it, when that, that when they were making this show, it was literally while they were making the first episodes that man landed on the moon. And everybody yeah. at the time was talking about, you know, right, this is it. Within 10 years, we're going to have moon bases. And this is, of course, before they pulled the plug on the funds for NASA. But it was a very optimistic time and everybody was celebrating. So if you think about it, it wasn't implausible to think that by 1980, you would have moon bases on the moon. And that, that, that actually brings me to, to something else. There, there was a lot of the episodes, it feels like a lot of the episodes, where they were just sat in finance meetings <laughs> discussing the budget for Shadow. There was a lot of committee <laughs> very, work, very yes. Nasty. Yes. <laughs> oh, there was a lot of fast-forwarding, I have to say, yeah. when I was re-watching some of this. But, but I, something, know, um, something that yeah. resonated with me on the show as well is that, you know, that it was clearly set in southern England where we are, you know. Um, but it, it, yeah. again, it was an odd little show in that they were presenting a 1980 England. Looking back now that this is what they were speculating that would happen. England in 1980 uh, was very much more Americanized than it is now. You know, whenever yeah. you do see contemporary cars um they tended to be american ones rather than british ones um in in the show they drive on the right hand side of the road rather than on the left like we do still i never Um, noticed yeah 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 always always on the right hand side of the road and they always say ufo did you notice that they never say ufo they say ufo Mm. even paul foster and the english actors say ufo which I'm thinking is, is is a deliberate attempt to Americanize the show. Now, I spoke to my friend Matt about this um, and said, do you pronounce UFO UFO? And he's like, no. And nobody I know ever says, says it that way. So <laughs> it, it seems to have been a bizarre kind of like attempt to project an England of the future where America has, you know, altered things by quite a degree. It might be also, you know, Lou Grade was getting a lot of his backing from America and, you know, he sold it to America and, you know, it was very successful in America. And it could be that, you know, it was something as simple as, well, we've got to have cars drive on the right because, you know, people in America might be confused as why cars are on the left. You never know. Yeah, very true. No, it's a strange series because it has it's it just swings from surreal to silly to, to dark <laughs> to quite quite 
so I don't know, emotional episodes. Yeah, I'm, that, that word you said there, surreal, that's, that's the, appeal, the, it's the appeal of the surreal, if you like, in that yeah. it, it, it's showing you an England of the future that is 90 degrees to what we have now or would have thought we would have had, you know. It, a, a, another mm. indication of that is you see in one episode that um, Shadow Headquarters, we haven't said, is, is underneath a film studio. Um, a secret organization underneath the film studio. And you see in one episode <laughs> that it, you see a, a, a letter addressed to Ed Straker and um, the county is Wessex. OK, now of course, right. there, there is no county of Wessex. There used to be in the Dark Ages, a kingdom of Wessex, you know, back when we had Mercia and, and, and other kingdoms like that. But, you know, there is no county of Wessex. So it, it's like a fictionalized projected england of the future that is you know quite different from from anything that we've got now or or would have had back then yeah and when they do show sort of like the sort of public you know that get involved they all seem to live in these these sort of country cottages down country lanes and sort of grand mansions there's not a lot of towns no it's a bit like it's a bit like the old avengers show in that People yeah. either lived in, like you say, quaint little country cottages or a high-rise tower block, which back in 1970 right, yeah. looked futuristic. And, you know, they used a lot of them. And some of them were like the electricity board in some area of London or something where you would have these <laughs> offices and that that's somebody's apartment, you know. And again, it's adding to the su- su- surreal aspect of it. Um, so anyway, yeah, we've got this organize, organization called Shadow, which is uh, there to combat the alien threat. And it's it's got various lines of defenses. And now we're going from the S word for surreal into the S line for silly. <laughs> and, and it really doesn't yeah. pay to think too much about it. Your first line of defense, OK, is a warning that a UFO is approaching by SID, this this orbiting <laughs> um, satellite Space intruder detector. Again, it's very Jerry Anderson where you have, yeah. you, you know, a name. It's like the big rat in Joe 90, you know, um, all the letters stand for something. So we've got Sid. Sid tells you that there's there's an alien craft on its way. Second line of defense is moon base. We have the moon base um, with only three interceptors. <laughs> yeah. Now, <laughs> three I, interceptors with one missile each. Well, here we go. It, the moon base has three launch pads. You would like to think that they've got further launch pads, a bit like in Space 1999, that maybe there's yeah. other launch pads that you see somewhere and, you know, they have many more. But no, because when, when they say interceptors immediate launch, you've got the pilots there, they, they're in their little ready room and they go down those nifty little chutes, don't they? Yeah. yeah to get down into the interceptor. Do. And there's only three chutes. You only have three pilots stationed on moon base at the same time they go down three chutes which go into three interceptors um and they as you say they only have one shot each okay <laughs> so if if all three miss well you're buggered basically sure. aren't you you know and that is, that's quite often the premise mm. of an episode that's how the alien ships get through yeah it's also yeah, um, shockingly yeah in one episode it's also shown that if the get this if the aliens come in from the other side of the earth from the moon the interceptors are out of range yep so the interceptors can't <laughs> get round in time so why don't the aliens just come from that side all the time well, exactly or from sort of like use the use of three dimensional space yeah 
because, and, because and, you know rather than coming along on a vector <laughs> and i also thought you know well why why is there only one moon base you know but there is mention we're back to what you were saying earlier on finances there there is one episode where they're talking about they they want money for another four moon bases to be built okay right right your next line of defense mm. to protect the well, don't 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 forget eric on the on the moon base you've also got um you've got some sort of tanks up there you just interrupted there, there was, me. Uh, I was just about to say you have got moon oh, tanks. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, which are brilliant. I love the moon tanks. I wish they had used them more. Um, yeah. Brilliant design. Filmed really well. Very much a precursor to the, the moon tanks that you see in space 1999, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And maybe one day we'll do an episode where there's a terrific sequence where a UFO has come right down to the surface and it's skimming the surface, yep. heading towards the, 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 the tanks. And it's all filmed in real time, you know, the, and, you know, it's obvious the UFO is hanging on wires being pulled towards this tank. But you wouldn't believe it. You know, it looks fantastic. So we might do that one time. Yeah. Yeah. And like you say, you don't see them very often, but why not? They, they're, they are great. <laughs> yeah. Right, your third line of defence is Skydiver, this uh, nifty submarine which uh, patrols the depths, which keeps it hidden from the public. And on the front of it, you've got uh, Sky One, the uh, the aircraft, the jet fighter, which uh, again, yeah. if if they want to launch, the guy goes down a chute. Jerry Anderson shows they <laughs> love chutes, you know. I mean, this happened in Thunderbirds, yeah. didn't it? You know, and I I yeah. I I really do think it's. Uh, the idea behind that is children can recreate that in the playground. They can go down the slide and pretend that they are one of the Tracy brothers going into a Thunderbird or you're an interceptor pilot, you know, or you're a, a Sky One's captain and you're uh, going down yeah. the chute to get into your ship, you know? Yeah, and I love the little bit where it then cuts to an external shot and you see the pilot being raised up into the uh, thing. He liked that a lot in this in this series. Yeah, where the pilots would be raised into the cockpit so that there was someone there, even though their chutes went down. Yes. So I don't know, why <laughs> didn't their chutes just go to the cockpit? <laughs> no, it, it's worse than that because you know when you see that happen, he the, the the hatch slides open, he slides down at a forty-five degree angle. You then cut to a an external shot of skydiver close up where the camera is yeah. moving horizontally right to left. You know, so he's now somehow going in a straight line. And then gets into his seat, which then goes up into the cockpit. Yeah, well, but, but you but never see again, any. It's, it's a marvelous way of showing scale and showing that uh, it's all connected. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, and in the first yeah, few Sky episodes, one. yeah, but th there's only Sky One in the first block of episodes. You only have one skydiver, and you only have one Sky yeah. One. You know, so if that's on one side of the planet, and an alien comes in from the other side of the planet, hasn't got a hope in hell of reaching it. But towards the end, we do yeah. see an episode um, where you see um, Sky 3 in this really yeah. impressive hangar, and that gets blown up. And there's also mention of Sky 4. So th you have got a fleet of these skydivers. It's inferred. Oh, yeah. I mean, like with any of these things, it's, it's, it's dependent on the script, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> Whether they need it or not. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I actually quite liked the design of Skydiver. I like the design of, of uh, Sky One, although I do find it, I don't know if scale feels a little bit wrong for the size of the cockpit mm. that's on it. No, it's a lovely it's very design. It's short and stubby. 
Yeah. yeah, no, no, it's a beautiful classic design. The only the only niggle I've got with it, and it's not, you know, because it's the 70s and everything's bright and shiny yeah. and everything, is why would you have a submarine, you know, that is paint, painted bronze with a plane on the front that is painted bronze as well? It's not exactly camouflage, is it, to have a bronze... And, lo- and lots of white. Yeah. <laughs> and a big name on the side. Yeah. <laughs> and the secret organisation's logo. <laughs> There you go. I mean, it's the same with the shadow mobiles. You, you know, this is a yeah. secret covert, you know, operation organization. And, you, you yeah. know, that the, the exteriors of all the craft <laughs> have the logo and the name of it on there, you know. Uh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah. Shadow mobiles or mobiles, <laughs> as they're called in the show. Yeah, that's the fourth yeah. line of defense. If the alien should reach the Earth, you've got these tanks. Okay. Um, yeah. Which are terrific. I, I love these tanks. Yeah, these are my favourite vehicle in this, in this this entire show. I don't know why. I just I think probably because, like I said earlier, it's it's one of the earliest dinky toys I can remember <clears throat> that allowed me to shoot my sister. <laughs> uh, always a bonus, <laughs> like you do. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I just think it's it's the look of them, it's the feel of them, the the sense of of power you get. But I, Getting back just just quickly to the fact that they they come out and they're all labelled with shadow, but they get transported in various ways through super secret convert uh, covert means. And I just love the fact that Universal is it Universal Movers. Yes, is the um is the organisation that has these massive trailers that carry the the, mo- the mobiles, um, and they just rock up in this weird woodland in the middle of uh, yeah. Wessex, if you like. <laughs> and then these uh, huge, great, big, labelled military vehicle rolled out of the back. Nobody bats an eyelid. It's, no. it's so fun. I, d- I do wonder if the Universal uh-huh. Movers is a nod to uh, James Bond, because in James Bond, their yeah. cover company is Universal Exports, isn't it? You know, so That's right, it, yeah. It, it might be a nod to that. But this is, of course, another harking back to Jerry Anderson's show, the uh, the yeah. SPVs in Captain Scarlet. They were always hidden oh, in, yes. in, in other vehicles and taken to a place, and then, you know, the sides fall down <laughs> and the roof comes off yeah. and, and out comes the <laughs> truck, you know. So, yeah. yeah, so that's the setup for anybody who isn't familiar with the show. I do urge you to go and have a look at the show if you're not familiar with it. I mean, occasionally they are, well, they are on YouTube, but they get taken down quite often. Um, but they yeah. are out there if you, if you don't fan- fancy laying out any money. All right, well, we, we've done the setup, so we'll get on to the clip, okay? All right, cool. so let's let's go with that. All mobiles stand by for rapid fire. All mobiles, fire.
Mobile three, get the skin team ready. There's something in the water. I know you've watched this online, didn't you? I did, but I also watched it um, actually broadcast as well today, this morning. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, I, I was just going to say, I don't know whether you would fancy getting it, but the Blu-ray box set is absolutely superb. Mm. I really do recommend it to anybody who's a fan of the show. Go out and get it because it is brilliant. Not only do you have superb picture quality they've remastered it and you know it looks stunning you know the picture quality is just amazing now um and it's kind of like i I have even more respect for the special effects now in that you would think with blu-ray that you would see say the wires of the ufos Mm. far clearer but no 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 they really do hold up really really well it's an excellent you know set i i think it's it's about forty pounds, and that's every episode remastered. You get a ton of extras, a ton of extras. But you get this amazing book by Andrew Pixley, which is this really in-depth guide to each episode and the whole show. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's small because you know it's the size of a of a DVD, if you like. But it's got to be almost telephone book size thickness it, it's amazing book and it is so in-depth um very exhaustive exhaustive in its detail including and here's the paul foster comeback thing i didn't realize yeah. did you that paul foster is actually wearing a toupee is he yeah he's well, that's wearing good, a toupee. That's good special effects yeah <laughs> we should do an episode just on that because they, they actually point <laughs> out at which point um he changes his toupee <laughs> you know so so and apparently yeah his toupee wearing was uh he was the butt of a lot of jokes from like george saul who would just take the mick all the time about the fact that he's wearing a wig now you know uh, ed bishop you know who plays ed straker he yeah he clearly is wearing a wig but uh, yeah apparently my my hero that i wanted to be uh w- was wearing a syrup all the way through so there you go. Perhaps it had anti- anti-static properties. Could be, yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we're going to we're going to talk about this sequence now. You said at the beginning of the show, you know, some of the um, tales could be rather duff. Um, this yeah. is a duff tale, you know, even though it's got a terrific special effects sequence. Um, it's it's a duff episode. I mean, it starts off. Shadow mm. loses a UFO in a wooded area of southern England. They're not sure where it is but they've got to start searching the area. Okay. So we see the UFO land. He parks it in a lake. All right. To stop it self-destructing. This is something we haven't mentioned in that the UFOs can only last a couple of days in Earth's atmosphere before they blow up. Okay. So he's parked it in a lake to stop it self-destructing. And for the entire episode, the alien, he kind of just like walks through the woods. He scares a dog and a horse. He kills a hippie. And he finally abducts an international show jumper. And yep. that's it. <laughs> he's, he's come billions of miles yep. to do that. And <laughs> as you say, so many of these episodes, you watch it because, you know, you want the action, you want the special effects, yeah. you want the science fiction. And it just turns into some story about this show jumper's relationship to his sister and how there's a hippie living on the land and 
Paul Foster's searching for the UFO, and it's all so dull. Yeah, yeah. I did fast forward a lot. Yeah, <laughs> in you, this one, you need to. You really do need to. But um, Paul Foster, he he figures out it's got to be in the lake. Um, there's nothing but silence um, at the lake. Hence the title of the episode and also there's mm. a dead hippie nearby so uh, he orders in the shadow mobiles doesn't he so yeah yeah i mean he's he's in one of them isn't he he's in the command mobile yeah while they're doing the searching he's in the command mobile you've got this thing called yeah. command mobile which is mobile with a bloody great radar dish on top <laughs> yeah. they're not subtle yeah. you know these covert you know uh, undercover vehicles you know, uh, they're not subtle. Um, but no, he's at the lake and he orders them in because he's realized that's why, you know, they haven't been able to find the UFO. Um, the three of them that they line up at the lake's edge. Um, and it, and it's great. You've got a nice, um, reproduction of the lake. Um, when you see the model shots, you can tell it's a model shot of the lake, but it kind of matches what we've already been seeing mm. in the live action. Yeah. To, to, <clears throat> to a degree. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a scene just before this where he's talking to the show jumper's sister and they're sat, stood next to the lake. And if you just watch that and then straight into one of the model shots, it looks completely different. Yeah, <laughs> but it's much, it, much larger. But, you know, the, the model work on the scenery is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, we'll come on to that in behind the scenes. But uh, you, yeah. you get the mobiles or mobiles. They they line up at the side and they each reveal a nifty device that you've never, ever seen before in yep. in, in the show. A built-in depth charger in the roof. Yeah. Now, again, again that, yeah, because every mobile should have one, shouldn't it? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, again, I'm thinking of the logistics. They're... There are people in the back of the mobile, but where do they sit if you've got this whacking great big depth charger, you know, uh, built mm. into it as well? Yeah, and like you said, you've, you've never seen them use one of these before. Mm. In fact, I can only think of a couple of instances where I've seen a mobile fire mm. before. Yeah. Um, and I seem to recall them having lasers at that point, but I might be mixing it up a little bit. Yeah, they. Yeah, no, no, no. Here, here, they're definitely not lasers. We'll come on to that in a second. No. Uh, they fire the first depth charge, and um, and that's good miniature work. Again, you've got this yeah. notorious thing where you can't miniaturize water, so you know you have yeah. the splash of the depth charge, and you're going to get water spraying up. Now, of course, you know, famously, the way to get around that is to make the model as big as possible, because then the water droplets don't look too out of scale if you've got a massive model. Do you remember that? Um, what was it? Where you had a ma Oh, it was uh, Spyro Love Me. It was the oil tankers in Spyro Love Me to right. to get around that. I think I think they were they were um, insane size. They were like forty feet long. You know these <laughs> the, the, these model uh, um, oil tankers. So yeah, Derek Meddings. I mean, you know, he had an X amount of money, but he didn't have that amount of money to make the the uh, the setup that large. So yeah, you can see there's water droplets, but I'll allow it. Um, Foster uses his binoculars to just check out. I, now his binoculars, number one, I want those binoculars. They are cool. Yeah, I was and, thinking that. And number two, they look very much like the macro binoculars in Star Wars, didn't you think? Yeah, yeah, ab absolutely. 
you've got this lozenge shaped things and when you see what he's seeing as well all you need is the red and green little graph at the side and that's exactly <laughs> you, you, you know what they're using on yeah. hoth you know definitely yeah but but what tickles me is when you cut to that scene looking through the binoculars you think where's the rest of the shape of the binoculars because <laughs> they look much wider yeah <laughs> unless he's got special he's zoomed in perhaps at this maybe this he's stage. zoomed in yeah so, yeah it's a cropped image that's what it is um, yeah the, the, the mobiles they fire again and uh, we see a light in the water so you know something's just about to happen and you start to hear uh, a weird alien noise don't you so you know something's just about to happen yeah and foster does as well because he, he says you know all mobiles stand by for rapid fire and then we, yeah. <laughs> as if it wasn't cramped enough in the in the bottom of the mobiles, we now get gun turrets turrets now raise up. Where does it all this yeah. fit? You know, I know exactly. I mean, I like the the thought that the mo mobiles were multifunctional, that, that that they had different things in them. Um, but yeah, they you know you sat in the back, although. Sometimes you only ever see the back interior in the command module. Very often you only see uh, people driving in, in the front of it. So, so it's quite tough to sort of work out exactly how big these things are. Yeah, it could be. So that, yeah, th those ones, you know, just don't have any room inside because who knows what yeah. else they've got in there. It, it's a bit like, you know, the Batman TV series, his utility belt. They could have all sorts of things for yeah. all sorts of, you know, occasions in there. Yeah. All right, so uh, I mean, potentially, I'm just thinking potentially it could be something like Thunderbird Two. Oh yeah, modular. yeah. So so they they oh, how, I don't know the mobiles were around though before they realised it was underwater. So they, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows these things? We're thinking we too much. Speculate. We're thinking yeah, too absolutely. much. <laughs> uh, so the gun turrets raise up and and the UFO comes out the water now. We'll come on to it in, in behind the scenes, how they made the UFOs fly. But I'm watching that and I don't understand how it comes out the water and it is spinning. Right. How did they yeah. do that? How can you the the thing is, is electric. It's spinning because it, electricity is making it spin. You have got this UFO underwater and you pull it out of the water by wires and it is spinning. How the heck did they do that? I oh, know. It, again, I know I said on this series, I don't particularly like the spacecraft. I love the UFOs. Mm. I just, like you say, they sometimes they are a bit wobbly, but most of them, they're just so unusual and mm. so strange. Mm. Um, and sometimes when you see sequences like this, it's just like magic. Mm. <laughs> of how they it pulled is. off some of the shots with, with them. I don't understand how they did it. And I've looked and looked and looked and there is no mention of how they achieved that. Now, I've got the books by Mike Trim, one of the designers. I've got the book by Alan Shubrook, yeah. one of the model makers. And they talk quite a bit about their work on UFO and, and things in UFO and sequences. But nobody has ever said, how did they get that to happen? If anybody is out there listening, um, if you can put on Facebook, if you know how they did this, is it a simply a case of, yeah, it was electric. They, they, to a degree, waterproofed the electrics um, and dunked it in the water and then pulled it back out again. <laughs> you know, is it is it as simple as that? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, or we'll it's move just on. alien technology. 
it's they're aliens yeah okay absolutely uh, yeah all mobiles fire we get this brilliant dogfight i mean this is why i've chosen this sequence yeah. this is amazing this dogfight with it going backwards and forwards that the the editing is brilliant the miniatures are brilliant the sound effects of i, I i've always loved the sound effects of the alien ship and the the lasers yeah. that they fire but you know, you've got a proper meaty machine gun sound effects going on. This, this is nothing. This isn't science fiction. This is like a war film type. You know, yeah, uh, machine gun firing, and and it's and it's it's meaty. It's bassy. You know, it sounds terrific. Ab- absolutely, and and like you said, uh, particularly on the alien side, the sound effects are so unusual and just off kilter. They don't sound like something sort of normal. They give it that alien feel to it. But, like, I don't know, it's, it's, the, the sounds in UFO, I thought, just really set, helped set the scenes, particularly with the mo- with the mobiles when they're driving, mm. and you've got that big meat, meaty, throaty noise that goes with them, and then they've sat there just like little like APCs with the machine gun fire going off. Mm. It is the best, what, one minute ish the entire entire well this is why i've chosen this sequence but you say about the sound and you know ufo is my favorite jerry anderson show and you know i've got books and books and fanzines and everything but i've never seen uh an article anywhere on the sounds of ufo you know how they produce the sounds of the ufo how they chose that sound for you know one of the mobiles i've got a feeling the mobile sounds are you know reused sound effects from yeah. maybe thunderbirds or captain scarlet or whatever but the actual recording you, you know ben burt is rightly you know praised for all the sound effects works that he's done on his films but i want to know who was the sound designer on the jerry anderson shows again if anybody on uh, can tell us on facebook who this person was because it really does need more exposure than that because it it's brilliant isn't it oh god yeah it just i don't know you you kind of see past the model work mm. if you if, if you like it helps that whole multi-sensory experience of the use of sound yeah it's and fabulous. and of course there's yeah there's no music either they're using the no. visuals and the sound to, for, for the excitement yeah. of it and you don't need music you know it, this is just a stunning effect sequence um and while it's going on paul foster he's there behind a log and he's looking very unconcerned <laughs> and I, I i guess it's because he's not actually part of it you know he's got this like little smirk on his face um yeah. but yeah you can be like that mate because <laughs> you're not in any danger are you well, yeah, because it, it doesn't even change when when the UFO take, uh, makes a hit, mm. you know. Yeah, yeah, so it sort it, of like shrugs a little bit. Yeah, it's like, oh, oh well. Yeah. <laughs> and, and to be honest, I had to watch that a few times just to 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 see whether or not a, a mobile did get destroyed or not. Mm. There was a lot of explosions in between the mobiles, but one one do does get stuff. hit. But you, you, you yeah. it's inferred one is destroyed, although you don't see it destroyed because, of course, they're not going to blow up one of their models. Um, no. But yeah, well, yeah, the, well, you see the some, there, there is a bit on it where there's you see bits will look like mobile debris, yeah. <laughs> sort of in, yeah, they, in explosion. They've kind of blown but, uh, something he, he up, doesn't haven't react. they? No, yeah, but he do, he doesn't react. He's like, oh. Got loads of them. Yeah. <laughs> Hanging about. 
the the UFO gets hit though, doesn't it? It tries to fly away and it gets hit and yeah. it explodes when it hits the water. It falls down and then explodes. Um, yeah, I'm surprised it took so long for it to get hit because it was just <laughs> hovering there. You'd, yeah. you'd think it would just take off and fly away. And you've got two, two massive <laughs> machine guns firing at it. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so that's the sequence over because you know it hits the water, it goes under, <laughs> and then we we see a capsule. Yeah. It floats up to the surface, and um, yeah, then we're back to the almost soap opera part of the story. And yeah, mm. you you can quite easily turn off at that point. You know, <laughs> with, with, the, with the impossible drill. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what I'm talking about. Just watch this episode. Get to the point. Couple of, a few minutes later, where they're examining the capsule, and just watch them drill through it, and then work out how the how, how that drill works. Uh, <laughs> because it's I, the would future. Love, I would love drills like that. It is. It's the amazing future of nineteen eighty. <laughs> yes, it's the hardware of the future. Okay, right. That's the sequence over. So we'll go in, into behind the scenes on this one. Um, this episode is the first one to be made after they move studios. Um, the first block were at MGM Borehamwood um, Studios, and they moved to Pinewood. Okay, um, and I can't see the join. Um, when you watch all the episodes, as I say, I got it on Blu-ray, so I, d- I did a mammoth, right. you know, episode watch, and I watched them one <laughs> after the other. When you actually move from the first studio to the second studio. They've done a really good job of moving the uh, the sets because the sets, the shadow control, looks identical. It's not like Space 1999 where they had a hiatus and when you come back, you know, the command center is completely changed. Uh, in UFO, yeah. it, look, it looks exactly the same. The only difference is you've lost a lot of the actors. Um, so George Saw has gone and Wanda Ventham's come in and we've lost Gabrielle Drake and, you know. Um, but it's almost an, a, a seamless... Uh, move from studios well that's interesting because uh, like I said, i've been watching it actually broadcast on, on on tv and they're out of sequence they're not broadcasting them in in uh, episode sequence so i oh, didn't right. even know, i would I, I wouldn't even have spotted that and i think that's no. typical when you saw reruns of this they were very often they weren't in sequence they weren't in episode order and, and also, you had a because, couple of episodes where, yeah, the the, the topic was um, a bit dodgy, um, and so they, mm. they they were either not shown or they were put away at like eleven o'clock at night. You know, um, you've got yeah. a couple in there that that involved uh, drug use, and so they were kind of taken out of the the running order for that reason. Mm. You know, um, but they're at Pinewood, and if you're at Pinewood, you use what's next what's next door, which is Black Park. Do you know of Black Park? Mm. Yeah. Any, no, any, enlighten me. You will do. You will do. Um, anybody who's a fan of film and TV, British film and TV, will know Black Park. Black Park is right next to Pinewood Studios, and it's been used <laughs> almost from the get-go as an outdoor location for so many film and TV productions because you've got this massive wood of, like, pine trees uh, with a lake in it as well okay uh, the, <laughs> and and yes the woods and the lake they feel they feature prominently in in pretty much any hammer film any hammer <laughs> film where, where where you're going through the woods that's black park okay right um they used it in goldfinger 
where it uh, doubles for um, Switzerland. It's meant to be in Switzerland, and there's a car chase. That's in Black Park. All the ITC shows, you know, the Persuaders, uh, the Champions, things like that, they used it. Um, also, the professionals, you know, it, in 70s television, if you're ever talking about, you know, Eastern Europe, OK, if the, if you ever wanted a checkpoint between Western and Eastern Europe, you use Black Park. There's a very famous straight road <laughs> there. And I went to visit it a few years ago and, you know, we walked around and it's like, yeah, I recognize that crossroads from, you know, this hammer, you know, vampire film. And we went to the lake. It's like, yep, that's the lake from uh, Sound of Silence UFO. And we were walking along and there's actually I, I have to put the photos up on Facebook. There's a, there was a checkpoint there, a Russian checkpoint. And it was just there on the road. It, it was a proper Russian checkpoint, which had been obviously left over from a bit of filming or they were doing a bit of filming there. Um, so it was very often used for that. It was used in that lake. Black Park Lake was used in Superman 2 when uh, General Zod and the other two, when they land on Earth and, you know, they'd come down and they actually land in the water. General Zod lands in the water. And you've got that fisherman right. watching and, and he raises up and walks yeah. on the water. That's that's the same lake. It was used in all the carry-ons as well. It was used in Tim Burton's first Batman film. It was used in Sleepy Hollow. It was used in uh, the Harry Potter films. It was used in uh, Captain America, the first Avenger, when we got that battle in the woods that's meant to be, you know, somewhere in Eastern Europe. That was Black Park as well. So, you know, it's, it's just got a massive history. Somebody should produce a book on, you know, all the times yeah. it's been used on film and TV. Yeah, that, that's weird because I'd never, I'd, I, I hadn't sort of placed the name, so that's that's quite cool. <laughs> if, you, if you're ever in the area, I mean, from you know where we're living, it's about I don't know an hour and a half's drive along the motorway. It's worth going for a day out because it's a beautiful forest. It's a beautiful place to just go for a wander or have a picnic, and you've got the added bonus of you're you're actually in all these places from all these film and TV shows. Excellent. So you can mask your <laughs> mask, mask your behaviour there. Marvellous. Um, I, I'll have to dig out the photo. I don't know where it is, but I actually took along my miniature UFO from UFO and uh, <laughs> had my photo holding it up in front of the lake. I'll have to put that up on Facebook, okay? <laughs> okay, no. so talking about the UFO, talking about special effects, uh, it's Derek Meddings and his crew. So that's a Century 21 production i always used to love that on the jerry anderson shows you know at the beginning you've got that that oh yeah that logo with that music as the arrow sort of thing goes into the century 21 logo always loved that yeah very very dramatic sets the scene bang straight in there yeah so it's century 21 derek meddings you know he, he had you know been working on all the jerry anderson shows so you know he, he was very experienced at this time um and he came up with the notion of the design of the ufo now, the UFO, I don't know if you know this, sorry if you know this, Mark, but uh, the upper half of the UFO is a clear perspex dome, which was held up by five mm -hmm. wires, and that was totally rigid. That didn't move at all. It was the lower half that actually rotated, okay? Now, that rotated, and they had put on high re highly, highly reflective material, like sticky back plastic, and it was attached to the veins and paddles of the lower section to make it shimmer as it spun, okay? And the idea was the way you filmed it, because the top dome was clear, you know, you just think the whole thing is spinning, but it's not. It's only the bottom. But because it's clear, you can see mm. the, the, the middle bit 
spinning. So you just assume the whole thing is spinning. It's not. It's only the lower bit that is. Now, they could, yeah, they couldn't make it bank. There was no way that they could make the UFO bank because if they tried tilting it, the motor would catch against the body and, you know, it would just stop. So they were very limited in what they could do movement wise with the UFO. But actually, that kind of kind of helps the alienness of it because it just yeah. moves along in a straight. It goes up and down, left <laughs> and right. It never does turn like a conventional uh, Earth craft. OK, um, you said earlier about the wobbling. They were very difficult to wobble. Um, uh, so, sorry, they were very difficult to move without wobbling. And. Again, this is what I love about practical effects. The way they would actually stop the wobbling very often was you just get a small lump of plasticine and stick it on <laughs> it to try and try and balance it up. OK, yeah. now this this wobbliness um, was actually caused some sort of arguments between Derek Meddings and the effects crew, because Derek Meddings came up with a visually interesting design and then said to the the workshop make it and of course they're like we can't make this spin you know blah blah and and so yeah there was there was some friction there that uh he designed this thing without actually thinking about the practicality of how you're actually gonna pull it off you know mm. but it worked you yeah. know it's, it is one of the most i don't know it's, it's kind of an homage to to the typical flying saucer but mm. still different enough that you haven't seen something like this before yeah it is its own thing isn't it you know you haven't mm. seen anything like this before and you don't really see it no nobody's really copied it afterwards have they you know it's a unique no. design all right the shadow mobile your favorite uh that yes. that again was a an initial design by Derek Derek meddings now this happened very often that Derek meddings would come up with an initial design and then hand it across to mike trim a guy by the name of mike yeah. who who you know even if you don't know the name you know his designs he's if you're a jerry anderson fan he came up with so many of the classic designs um yeah. the finish designs that is and of course he went on to design the uh the Martians and the Martian craft in Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds. So even yeah. if you're not a Jerry Anderson fan, if you if you own that album, you know Mike Trim's work. Um, and it, it was something he did a lot. Yeah, it was the same with the uh, the Interceptors. Um, have you ever seen the design of Derek Medding's original design for the Interceptor? Yeah, that, there was a, an exhibit a couple of years back um, with some of his stuff in a small gallery over in uh, – another part of of, of kent and uh, they he had all his originals for the interceptor the shadow mobile um you know there's a, there's a classic one where he's basically got the martians from war of the worlds attacking angel interceptors yeah <laughs> that's a, yeah you can buy that as a print thing. yeah that was that was good oh, yeah that's, that is ace i, I, I have love to find stuff. that and put it's it great. on facebook but no the yeah. original derek meddings design if if you look at it 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 was very much apollo orientated that's, the cabin yes it was yeah, if you imagine a Saturn V cabin turned on its side so it's horizontal with a whacking great mm. big engine at the back and then a missile at the front. But it was Mike Trim who designed it in a much more sleek, futuristic style, wasn't he? Yeah. And then you look at you look at the shape of it and it's of the, of the actual finished thing. Uh, and it's very organic mm. in, in its lines. It's this it's not what you expected, but it kind of works. But like you say, the original was was very black and white and in fact i think the moon mobile the moon mobile mm -hmm. from ufo is more like the original 
concept for the interceptor. Yeah, which is odd because the Moonmobile is actually left over from Captain Scarlet. Hmm. Uh, yeah, they, they it, it, it was just in the model shop, and I, I read an interview once with Mike Trim where Derek Medding said, "Oh, we're going to use this thing called a, a Moonmobile. We need a Moonmobile. We'll just use the one from Captain Scarlet." And he's like, "Oh no!" <laughs> because have you seen the episodes? There's two episodes in Captain Scarlet where the Moonmobile is used, and yeah, like you say, um, it's a very functional design, but it actually yeah. hopped. It sort of right. like jumped, landed like yeah. a caterpillar, and then jumped again. And and yeah, it was a bit silly, and that's what Mike Trim was fearing. But in UFO, when they used it, the legs are fixed, so it just took off, hovered, and then landed again. Okay. Yeah, but but, but uh, again, it's it's almost in the that original design of the interceptor. That's you could take out the finished design and put the eagle next, and it's almost a design lineage. Yeah. Very much. You, you you can start saying, well, this could be a shared universe sort of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I like to think it possibly would be. Yeah. <laughs> the the Shadow Mobiles, though, they um, he came up with the design. Mike Trim came up with the design. Um, well, no, Derek Meddings came up with the design for the Shadow Mo- Mobile, but Mike Trim went off and did his own thing with it. And he had designed mm-hmm. an explosive truck in Joe 90, um, yep. which was similar. And uh, so he basically adapted that. And that was good for the model crew because they used the same chassis. Um, famously, you know, Derek Meddings and, and his crew, they went out and they bought model kits or toys <laughs> and they com- yeah. converted them. There was a toy tank called Tiger Joe, which they yep. used an awful lot. They had used it uh, in Thunderbirds. They used it in Captain Scarlet, and it was the basis of this explosive truck in Joe 90. They used the actual chassis for it. And the reason they used it was it was a very good, very hard-wearing design, very tough, um, and didn't break very much. So they used that an awful lot, and they again again used it here on the Shadowmobiles. Yeah, and uh, they use them so much that uh, you can't buy, find them for hiding the hair these days. Like so many things now, you know, it's yeah. fantastic you, that you've got all these model makers who say how they made things and stuff. But yeah. there is such a, uh, you know, hobby now of, of making your own, and I'm guilty of it, making your own studio yeah. scale reproductions. All these people that want to go out and, you know, make their own are driving up the prices. And it's, yeah. it's not just models. It's not just this. I mean, you know, with aliens, um, famously with aliens, you know, um, if you wanted to make your own smart gun or motion tracker, because there were there was this type of drill and there was this type of calculator used and this type of, you know, motorcycle hand grip, you know, <laughs> it's just driven the prices up and they are so rare now. Yeah, but it does give it that. I don't know. I think that's part of what made this one of my favourites. Is it just looks like it could exist mm. because they've yeah, there, used these parts and these existing things. There is a believability to all Derek Medding's um, stuff, yeah. and also it's it's the way they're filmed as well. I mean, in this sequence where you see the shadow mobiles, the camera is down very very low, pointing up, which gives you a sense that they are bigger than they actually are. They filmed it at at higher speed and then played it back. So they actually uh, are slowed down and therefore look uh, more ponderous and look like they've got more weight, don't they? Yeah. And then you've got that, particularly in this uh, shot, particularly in this scene where you're at a distance and then you, 
you're quickly sort of up close and personal with them as they come into position. Mm. And again, it's just that layers of, of shots that make them just feel real, you know, like real things rather than just models. It, it's done very, very well. And, and sometimes, you know, on another show that was out at the same time on Doctor Who, where they didn't do any of this, where say you had a moon craft walking across, uh, traveling across the moon and they didn't film low down and they're just pulling it on a wire and it's in real time. It looks like what it is. Yeah. It's a miniature being pulled along a miniature set. Whereas these ones, there's an awful lot of realism. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that it's, they're not sort of like stop motion or pulled along mm. type, uh, type um, vehicles either, yeah. or, or being <laughs> like scalectrics or <laughs> stuff like that. Indeed. What, what also is helping the realism is the, is the actual woodland miniature itself. Now, they had, mm. they had had years and years of experience of making miniature sets to put the models into, and here for the miniature Black Park, they actually used real juniper trees because juniper trees, if you film them close up, they made very good scaled-down oak trees. Okay. Mm. So they were, they were real juniper trees. Um, they actually went to Black Park and they went out and they got lots of foliage and moss and stuff like that. And they would dress the set with that. And they also used something called Statis, uh, which is a dry white plant. But if you painted it green, you could add it to the bark offcuts that they used as foliage. So, um, yeah. So they were using real plants. It's not a case of going down to the railway shop and buying plastic trees and plastic, yeah. you know, lichen or, or leaves and stuff like this. They were using real stuff, which helps I think that shows. even more. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely shows. Even though it doesn't match exactly from establishing shots to, to the miniature shot, the miniatures on in isolation, that, that just, it looks, it does look real. Mm. Even though you kind of watch it now and you can, you know it's it's uh, scaled down but like you say because they're using real foliage they're using real real plants mm. it has that f- movement to it that yeah. you wouldn't get otherwise yeah. all right so uh with us saying all of that what do you think of it what what would you give it as a rating there mark this actual sequence in isolation rather than the entire yeah. episode it, you'll, you'll be pleased to hear it is what do you think of this effect sequence Excellent. That's good. I actually really enjoyed this this sequence. Like you say, it's it's got weight. Um, it feels <clears throat> actually without being over the top. You know, it's it's a real. You get a sense of danger in life, life and death, and all that sort of stuff on it. Miniature work is is great on it. For me, that I put this about eight and a half. All right. Just just okay. that minute, just just that sequence on its own. Um, without Paul Foster, I'm afraid. <laughs> Do you, you're not going to. You're not going to give it. You're not going to give it a bit more for his wig, because it did stay no, still well, very much. Well, yeah, but you know, come on, <laughs> one of your mobiles <laughs> just got blown up, and there is a gunfire <laughs> and mortars going off, and you're behind apparently Smirking. a bulletproof log. Yeah, yeah, with 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 your syrup. So <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I I think it's stunning. You, you know, it's stunning miniature work. It's uh, stunning photography, and you have got the superb sound effects. Um, but I'm not going as high as you. I'm just going to give it an eight. Okay. Fair, fair enough. Which which gives it an average of eight point two five. All right. No, yeah, cool. That's fine by me. 
Excellent. All right. Well, that's it. That's the uh, show over. Um, as I say, if, if anyone out there has never watched it, I do urge you to track it down. And, and if you like what you see, um, I do urge you to track down the Blu-ray. So, yeah. All right, Mark, thank you for today. No problem. Thank you very much. I I've look got a forward to, to go. I'll tell you what. Shall we one day? I, I was just about to say I've got a hankering to go down to Black Park. Maybe we'll have a day trip one day. We'll <laughs> do a follow-up. We'll do a follow-up episode live from Black Park. How about that? Live, live broadcast. Bring your miniatures. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. We'll have, we'll have to do the sound effects and everything. Or we could just recreate this scene using um, everyday household objects. There you go. There you go. If we do it, we'll have to take a Paul Foster wig each because we need them, don't we? So, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, thank, thanks then, Mark. Oh, brilliant. Thank you very much. And thank you, everybody. Look out on Facebook. We've got a lot to put up there. So see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.